ready to grow your business by building relationships online and offline? Are you looking for a system to attract new prospects and nurture your past clients? Maybe you're a business owner, a sales professional, or an entrepreneur. If you are, then great. Join me, Janice Porter, as we blast past your barriers to success and explore the power of relationships for your business. And welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of Relationships Rule. And I'd like to welcome today my guest, Rich Chang, coming to us from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Welcome, Rich, to the show. Yeah, thanks, Janice. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Rich and I met um, through a friend of a mutual friend who was, uh, I think Rich was the guest on her show, Ginger Johnson, and I uh, was there and I found Rich really interesting because um, he's essentially, I'm going to say it, a geek in the sense that you are in the software app world, you are an app developer, you are, but you are truly an entrepreneur and consultant as well. But I think what got me the most was that Rich was talking about the importance of giving back to community and about the uh, nonprofit world that he is, or nonprofits that he's involved with because he is on boards of different organizations. And so I felt that, Rich, you had such a diversity of beingness, really, because you were very... Um, uh, easy to, to, you spoke easily, you communicated well. And to me, that was the opposite of someone who's in the tech world that from my experience. So can you speak to that in the sense that how do you do that yin and yang thing? And, and why? Why did that happen? Do you are you aware of it the same way? Like, um, yeah, I mean, one of the key words that you mentioned is diversity. Uh, and the other for me is is evolution. Um, I'm actually inherently very introverted, but over time I've had to really adjust how I interact with community people in general because of the different roles that I've held. And, uh, there's that saying, right. We always have to be willing to be uncomfortable and I'm uncomfortable pretty much a lot, uh, but it's how you deal with those situations. And so for me, the diversity part, the reason I bring that up is when we grow up, we often hear this, especially for those that had the privilege to have this experience of our parents saying, you need, you need to diversify yourself in order to stand up from the rest, especially when applying for colleges. So we'll play, besides school, we'll do sports or music or other activities, whether it's arts or something. Uh, and it's to really show the admissions folks at colleges like, hey, I'm, I'm something more than just studies and being book smart or et cetera. Um, and for me, that's something that Luckily, my parents also instilled that I had to remember to do outside of college. And as a business owner, I found that actually there's important for a couple of reasons. One, it's enabled me to be my, more diverse at making connections and having relationships with people because I can talk about things beyond just the weather or the typical like small talk uh, uh, discussions or just about work. Like I can talk about some sports. I'm not in depth or understanding, but I've been able to adapt and learn like how to have conversations with people that aren't just like surface, like getting more meaningful into it. Um, and then on diversity side, it's also helped us when we hire people. 
because as a software firm, there's a lot of folks that have computer science degrees worldwide mm-hmm. that apply for jobs. And for me, it's like, how do they stand out? Because a resume only takes you so far. Right. And the other part is, well, yes, anyone can code, but their diversity of side projects that they've done or initiatives that they worked on also makes them a lot more well-rounded. In, and in particular, especially how they troubleshoot problems. Because in the end, we as business owners, we're looking for people to offload work off our shoulders as leaders. Mm-hmm. And then two, be able to do their work in a way that we actually want them to do it, right? That's either providing an appropriate, comprehensive, impactful solution for clients, or if it's just something for the job, for our, for our work or for our company, is to provide a solution that actually makes us more efficient or helps us actually do our work better. And if they don't really have a lot of worldly experiences, they're going to be very limited as to what they can actually do and the solutions that they bring to the table. Um, so for me, it's, it's really been around how do I make sure that I'm diverse in experiences and knowledge that I have? And then how do I also provide diverse experiences for the people that I interact with and work with? And the nonprofit part that's also about diversifying and understanding what's going on in the world, because as a software solutions uh, company, uh, professional services consultancy, we are providing solutions across the board. Like we're not one particular industry or niche. And so for me, having these um, nonprofit experiences has provided a lot of opportunities. One, I like giving back to the community. Mm-hmm. Two, it's actually opened up our doors to opportunities. And then three, I learn about problems or issues that other people are, are running into that maybe I wouldn't have run into or come across if I just solely focused on um, paid type engagements of just bringing clients to the door and working that way. Wow. There's a lot there. And, and that's what I think resonated when I heard you speak the first time is that you have that broad range of, um, expertise and also interest, which makes you more interesting. And that's the whole point. So, um, the name of your company, new foundry forging, big deals, forging new deals, forging um, uh, solutions that inspire those things. I love the name because it, uh, were you in, um, were you a car person or were you a, um, was it, was that what, I don't know where the name came from, but I love that, the connection. Um, So part of it was we worked with a branding firm to help us come up with that name, but part of it is, yes, I'm a car person. Uh, my business partner and I, one of them, uh, Chris, who's our CTO, we're very much about building things. And yes. so the, the way they looked at it is like we're modern day blacksmiths, right? So instead of us working with iron and yeah. metal and fire, we're actually working with zeros and ones, right? Cool. But it's around creating things, which is what blacksmiths are doing too, is they take raw materials and yeah. turn them beautiful. Exactly. So that, that was very cool. Um, and I, I think your slogan, and you just really spoke to that, we all do better when we all do better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a personal slogan that I have. It came about because uh, one of my personal initiatives around Workforce Pipeline. And so for me, Workforce Pipeline is a key indicator of basically the, the economic sustainability of a community, right? Because it's all around getting people into jobs that want to work because if they have jobs and they're earning money, that means that they can actually buy things, hopefully put it back in the community, pay for taxes, et cetera. But there is also parts of that they have to peel back, which is why I got involved in those nonprofits because we can't just put people, like basically they say like butts in seats. You have to make sure that those butts in seats, one are the, are the right butts in seats. And then two, they can actually afford to live. 
uh, because there is a classification of folks that are working, but they actually can't afford. The United Way terms it as uh, ALICE, it stands for Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed. And this is a group of people that are actually below the cost of living. And so they're in between poverty, the national poverty, and also those that have enough. And it actually varies by region and where they are geographically, right? So sure. it's more them in San Francisco versus New York City versus, say, Ann Arbor or other places. But it's something that we as business owners have to realize. And it also affects things like sales, right? So when you're pricing something, you have to understand who your audience is and what that particular business in that region can absorb, especially if you know what their actual typical um, employee rates are um, for, if, especially if they're providing living wages for their for their team. So um, I know that I live in Vancouver, and Vancouver, BC, is probably the most expensive city in Canada to live mm -hmm. in, and it's ridiculous how much things have have um, changed. Um, I don't know what makes it that way, but it never goes down; it's always going up. I mean, what do you pay for gas where you live? Uh, so we're paying gallons and uh, I always felt like Costco because they're usually the cheapest, but even I had to put premium in my car and I think I paid four thirty something the other day. Four thirty a gallon. So um, we pay now close to $2 a liter. So times four, Yikes. right? So it's almost yeah. double. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So um, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of people here in that situation that you just um, described through the United Way um, work that you do. Um, so I know that you um, your uh, business spans a lot of different industries and and you know vertical markets that you that you work with. What would you say? Um, it has been your most interesting project with this company since you've forged this company? Um, so some of the more, it, I guess it really depends on interest and impact. Uh, sure. So the ones that I found the most interesting were the, uh, very early on, we did a lot of work for, in automotive space, huh. um, especially a lot of proof of concept and demonstration of technology for autonomous vehicles, especially when it comes to um, what they call HMI, which is the human interfaces, like the dashboard, and then a lot of work around visualizing and showing how LiDAR and all these other different systems work together to provide an autonomous vehicle um, experience. Um, those are really neat because they're fairly cutting edge and you know, new tech is always neat. But in the end, was that something that really warmed my heart and made me feel like, oh man, I'm like making a true impact on humanity? Mm, probably not. The stuff that I really like the most are healthcare work. Mm. Um, and so because we're situated in Ann Arbor, we actually uh, do a lot of um, engagements with University of Michigan and Michigan Medicine. Plus, there's a lot of other um, healthcare institution, institutions in Southeast Michigan. But there's a lot of grant flow that happens within Southeast Michigan in general. And so we've been fortunate to be pulled into quite a few engagements. And those are really neat because in the end, the work that we're doing are either typically helping clinicians and researchers do their, their research, or we're helping patients with applications that help them make decisions or whatnot. But in the end, we're hopefully driving better patient outcomes. And those are the type of things. Sure, the applications may not be as sexy and technically complicated as say like the autonomous vehicle work that we did. But in the end, I enjoy these the most and it warms me at the heart the most because we're hopefully making people's lives better. That's very cool. You just made me think of something I saw on the news 
uh, here yesterday. It was from somewhere in the States and I can't remember where, but it was an, it was a video of um, police stopping a vehicle or they saw a vehicle stopped or something and they went to the vehicle and there was nobody in it. It was driving itself. And then as they went back to the car to get something, the car drove off and then stopped again a little bit further on. So I think it was San Francisco, if I recall. But yeah, so this is what we're coming to, right? When we talk about autonomous mm -hmm. <laughs> vehicles, right? Very, very scary, but happens, right? Um, and is happening today. So with your um, nonprofit work that you do and your business, do they interact in the sense that does some of your business now come from your connections that you make by sitting on these boards? Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting how I'm going to explain this because the nonprofit boards that I got on really were not for business development purposes. It was really for me to try and give back to the community and solve a problem, which is a problem that I wanted to solve for New Foundry, which is workforce pipeline. Because I, it's, it's very difficult, at least in our particular region, to retain technical talent in the area, especially when they graduate, say, from University of Michigan uh, and other large universities in the area. And so I'm going, okay, well, I need to start investing in people that are local, whether they go to Washington Community College or other community colleges or even Eastern Michigan University. Um, but those are folks that typically stay here. But as tech owners, a lot of tech businesses in the area, they don't really focus on them, which is a shame, right? Because I call them the hidden talent pool because it's not just these community college graduates and other, other colleges, there's veterans, there's older adults, there's neurodiverse, there's physically challenged people. That is a very large population of people that if we invested and spent the time, we would have a workforce pipeline for a long time going. Because in Michigan in particular, we have a problem of more people are dying and leaving than we have people actually being born and moving here. Interesting. Right? So as a business owner, I'm saying, like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have people that are gonna work for me. Um, so the nonprofit work for me, was really around trying to figure out what do I need to do to provide services that helps these people that want to work that don't have the privilege or the typical education opportunities. But as a result of that, with most of these nonprofits, the folks that are involved with like the boards or the committees, a lot of times it's because they have the wealth and the opportunity to be able to do that. And a lot of times these folks that are in these positions, there are a lot of times leadership or executives at corporations in town. And because of my connection, because right now I'm serving on about 11 nonprofit boards, wow. like one, my name gets around a lot. And then people go like, oh, you know what? I think Rich Chang's company does tech stuff and then they'll refer us to someone else. And so that's why it actually has also turned into, and not on purpose, like a business development opportunity or pipeline mm -hmm. for us, because we're getting our name out through the work that we're doing with these nonprofits. And then also a lot of times because the other board members or committee members are executives at different um, corporations or companies in the area, they also come across us that way. And then they pull us into their engagement because they're like, oh, this is someone that also cares about community and they're technical and they come up with a problem. Let's talk to them. And ultimately, it's because of the relationships that you're building with the people that you're on the boards with. That's the key, right? And, and, uh, and that's what... Um, they feed the reputation by, you know, uh, the good work that you're doing. So it, it's a, it actually seems like a great fit, but not something that a lot of people um, take the time or, you know, carve the time to do those kinds of things. I know um, 
I did do some, I'm trying to think when it was, but it was a long time ago. I was uh, involved uh, through, I think it was through a job I had or something way back when that I did get involved in the United Way um, campaigns and stuff. And you could see, you could see that it was an avenue to meet people for me back then at a higher level, right, that, um, that I was playing at and give you an opportunity to build relationships um, of that stature. And I think that's really, really a good way to teach people about business. So yeah, and now just correct me if I'm wrong, because it was somebody else I was talking to. Are you, no, there's someone I was talking to that, oh, I think it was a woman, actually. I don't know if you know her. She's in Hong Kong and she is put, yes, I did. I was going to connect you, I think. Uh, Diana, um, she's writing, uh, doing a course. I'm teaching people how to be on boards. Did I talk to you about that? You did talk to me, but yeah. I can't remember. I'll Diana Wu is her name. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can- like to chat with her that'd be great yeah I think that would be awesome and I don't know why I dropped the ball on it I apologize but I think that's a really good fit for for you two to have a conversation um she's lived in Hong Kong for 20 years or so because her husband teaches there I think but you know so she's but she's um yeah I think you'd really find her interesting um okay so um there was something else I wanted to ask you regarding okay so um I feel as though, like, you grew up in that area where you live now, right? Uh, kind of. So I grew up actually in New York. Uh, so my dad was a lifelong IBMer. So this is where um, diversity came in, because in my particular community, or even in my graduating class, I was, like, I think one of six Asians, and all the rest were predominantly Caucasian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for that, I mean, it was an interesting scenario, but everyone always made me feel welcome. So I never really understand the differences in, in race, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, I understand a lot more now, but my dad was a lifelong IBMer and that's how I got interested in technology. Um, but it was also through observing my parents, again, a privilege that I was able to do that, that I learned about a lot of different things. Like my mom was a chef, professional mm-hmm. chef, she had a catering business, so I learned about cooking. And my dad also wasn't just, uh, I mean, he's an electrical engineer, did stuff for IBM. And so, but he also enjoyed using his hands. And so he would work on his cars and we'd build things mm-hmm. and, with wood or metal. And that's really how I got, um, uh, I guess, impacted by, oh, there's a lot more stuff than beyond just sitting in front of a computer and doing things. Um, let's make sure that I'm more well-rounded. But they also did the typical thing of, I played sports and I did music and all this kind of thing. Sure. So it was marketable for college. So what sports did you play? Um, predominantly soccer, but only up until a junior high. And then I played tennis. I mean, for me, I didn't really care. Yeah. Um, I would play like including football. Uh, it's, it's just around getting different experiences. I wasn't good at everything, but I played it all. And you did um, classical piano or... Um, so I did, uh, but most of my work was actually violin. Oh. So I started when I was age four, uh, and then uh, of course you did. Of course you yeah, did. Before, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I actually competed, won a bunch of different competitions, but I actually got burned out. Yeah. And then when I graduated from high school, I basically just stopped. Uh, much to my long-term chagrin, as I look back, I'm like, oh man, because uh, I really yeah. enjoyed meeting people through orchestras and bands. And, uh, so can I digress into something about that 
um, because um, it's all stereotypical stuff, really. But um, so were you American? Like, were you born in, in the yeah, States? I'm first generation. Yeah, okay. And so, but your parents came here with that same um, perfectionism, work ethic, like you've got to work hard and, and, and make sure that you have all these things under your belt for you as, as a child. Right. So my daughter, whom you've actually talked to Sarah, she took piano, um, right from, I think age six, and she did it all the way through in Canada. It's called the Toronto conservatory, um, program. Right. And she is a beautiful pianist and she, she competed in some of the, the things along the way. And Generally speaking, it was Sarah, the little blonde, and all the little Asian children that were in the right in the in the neighborhood that competed. And I have to I have to ask you this because they're all American or Canadian, right? Generally speaking, it's first generation as well. They were very much uh, technically sound more so than probably my daughter. But what I saw and what other people must have seen in my daughter was the the music in her. Yep. Yeah. The musicality and, is an interesting yeah. mix because there are, I had friends that were probably more technically proficient than me in a violin, but there's times I would beat them in the competitions because it wasn't just around technical aptitude. Yeah. But you can't teach that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, yeah. it's in you or it isn't. So I always found it interesting that, you know, the, the um the culture of the asian families was to you know technically be the best but where does that why is that other piece missing missing often is it yeah, on the, um, the... Uh, yeah i think it really depends on the personalities right so for me my parents are actually not your i guess stereotypical asians one, they didn't expect him to become a doctor. And two, they also weren't as harping around precision or technicality. Yeah, so that's where it comes from then. Yep, it was around doing a really good job, but they also, there's no sloppiness. And my mom in particular really understood music beyond, it's just not how well do I finger the, the notes, right? Mm-hmm. On the, on the violin fret. Uh, it's more around how do you interpret and express the music in a way that resonates with others. And that's something that's played into how I view, and probably in the end, I think it's probably why it's made me a lot more empathetic, right? Because for me, I'm always thinking about, okay, how will other people interpret what I say, the words that I choose, and how I present information, uh, instead of like a ton of things like, well, here's all the numbers and blah, blah, blah. Because I know like you throw it in front of most people, their eyes are going to glaze over. Right. Unless you're a total geek and really into numbers. But I would say a large portion of people aren't that way. So how do you, I mean, that's why we have degrees in design and technical communication, et cetera, because it is, there's an art aspect to that. And again, it goes to diversity, right? It's like, if you don't understand and know that people are different and they interpret information and there's differences in relationships and we just view everything as like a technical black and white thing, I think that's where we start having challenges of I don't know, people either can't convince them to your line of thinking or you just never to accomplish or you just hit a wall uh, in regards to trying to make progress. Right. So you really in your position, I'm, I'm guessing you're the um, in your company, you would be business development. Um, brand. I am actually for my company, I'm probably one of the worst uh, 
communicators in general. Really? Yeah. Like my, my partners and even my staff, I think use words a lot better than I do, but that's just something that I've always focused on trying to improve Mm -hmm. uh, because I can at least get like a, I guess the way I can view it is I can get all the information out in a blob of words, but when my team or business partners massage it, it goes from say like 10 sentences down to like two really precise, awesome sentences. And that's the skill that I will readily admit I need to improve and I'm always working on. Uh, but there's also things that I do a little bit differently than they do that they come to me for, right? Uh, in relationship. So, yeah. So when you're speaking to a prospect, mm-hmm. whether that's someone that's been referred by somebody in your other world, or it's, you know, somebody that's reached out and they're looking for a solution. And um, uh, I would think that you are a good judge of knowing uh, whether they're getting it when you talk to them or, you know, cause you, you ask questions, you are, I know that from listening to you on that first time I met you, I've sensed that you have this playfulness, but as well, and a curiosity and it's the curiosity piece, which I love that allows people, I think to then um, um, for you to read them better and therefore be able to present accordingly. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of my uh, strengths is uh, the connection. Um, for me, what I'm talking about, like in the words, the, in regards to wording, is like when I have to write stuff, it takes. It's not one of my stronger strengths, so it takes a lot more effort and time. Uh, but when I'm, you know, in these type of, of of engagements, for instance, like you and I, I feel like we just talk forever mm-hmm. uh, about really cool stuff, uh, whether it's for work or business development or just society or et cetera. And those are the things that for me uh, comes a bit easier, uh, but it still requires me to kind of, uh, it's, I always feel like there's always people better, there's always people worse, right? So for me, it's, I think it's just saying that I, I always have room to improve. Well, that's, that's a lifelong learner, right? Always having room to improve for sure. Um, so what's the biggest challenge pro- project that you've had at work? What's the project that you're, team took on that was the biggest challenge for you all um well I guess it depends on how you want to view challenge like if, if it's a challenge of it was a complex problem to solve um one of our favorites right now is in the end on paper it seems easy it's, it's actually a, a chat bot that we built for a client that's in the insurance industry um but as you dig deep down uh, under the hood there's actually a lot of complicated code and logic and everything that goes into that. And that, that took us about a year to really build a solid platform for them. Uh, and then they actually just recently came out of beta like mid last year. Uh, and they actually have a thesis that they're trying to prove. It's not a consumer oriented application, even though in the end it is, but for them, it's actually to build something that they can actually license to other businesses. Ah. Uh, and that one was, was pretty neat because like I said, on paper, we're just like, Oh yeah, we're building a, a chat bot. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're not, right? It's, it's actually mm-hmm. an overall solution. But if we look at say like, and define challenges, what is a challenge that has been uh, something that we have to, to solve? I would say on the team level, it was difficult for these last two years because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually had quite a few of our team that actually joined either right before or during COVID. <clears throat> and some of them never met each other face to face. And so one of the things that we lost was a lot of 
basic day-to-day camaraderie and interaction, which is really important to building a team. And we, we hire folks onto our team because of the culture, not just their skills. Like we've interviewed very, very brilliant folks in the past, but they weren't a good fit for us because we knew that culture-wise, they weren't going to be an overall fit to interact, like even at like a, a friend level with, with the team. Because we want them to actually interact outside of work if they can. Because you right. spend your day at the office, you might as well try and get some friends out of this. Are you aware that there's companies that, that um, uh, did online team building kind of things during COVID? Yeah, we did. And I would say like we, we were good at, at some points of that and other times not. Uh, <clears throat> So we actually did some, what were they, like escape rooms that were virtual, which was yeah. really, really neat. Yeah. Uh, the team really enjoyed that. But even when I check in with my team afterwards, they're like, yeah, you know, we really enjoyed those, but we would actually prefer to have just more, just let's just get everyone in a room and not even have to, we talk about work, maybe we'll, maybe we won't, but it's just kind of gabbing, right? It's almost like that going to Sam's bar after the, after work, right? Yeah, exactly. But virtual. Exactly. But yeah. now that COVID is, is hopefully in decline and we're getting more people in the office. Yeah. And it's really special because we actually had um, a large portion of our team in the office about two weeks ago. We're going to go like, wow, we haven't been this many cars in a long time. So it sounds as though you do hire locally then more than most people today. Yeah, we prefer to hire local, yeah. um, but uh, we are actually in the process of hiring engineers. And I think one that we're, Putting through a final new process right now, I think is on the East Coast. I think in New Jersey. Okay. Uh, so we're we're definitely more open to remotes, but we prefer folks to be local because there's just a lot more chance for a team building exercises. Sure. So I have to go back to the chat bot for a second because those things always drive me crazy. When you have you go to online help yep. and you go to the chat and that they're so vague in general that they never answer your question. And so you give up, at least that's my experience. I'd much rather talk to somebody. So is the challenge that you were um, faced more about um, covering every, everything, uh, every aspect and, you know, okay. No, it's so exactly what you said about the typical engagement chatbots is what we were trying to solve. That's why I said like on paper, yeah, let's implement a chatbot to interact with someone to buy insurance. Yeah. And it's like, no, we didn't want it to be like the experience when you call on a phone to talk to the, the computerized IVR, you know, right. and you're like hitting zero. So like, I just want to talk to the operator. Yeah. And the whole proof point of thesis around this was for this particular um, entrepreneur to provide a platform that allows a preliminary intake of potential insurance clients to not require a lot of humans where the humans can actually focus more on the overall experience farther down the, the insurance path. Uh, so yeah, we want to make sure that it wasn't frustrating and can handle all these different scenarios of like, well, I didn't provide my information precision. Like, how does that actually work so that uh, the system can actually do more like la- natural language processing? Um, wow. That's a big, yeah, I can see, all I can see is flow charts in front mm-hmm. of me. Exactly. No, yeah. you're right. That's what it works. And so it's taking those flow charts and then also sprouting off the case yes. of, just, well, what if someone does something we're not expecting? Exactly. Yeah, very interesting. Oh, that would drive me crazy. Yeah. Okay, so um, last couple of questions. Um, I, um, as I mentioned already, I'm always very curious. Curiosity is one of my favorite words. And so I like to ask this question of my guests, two-part question. 
Number one, do you think curiosity is innate or learned? And part two, what are you most curious about like today? Mm -hmm. um, so I think curiosity is innate, but I think it can be um, hampered or squashed depending on the environment, right? So there, we, we, we have to be born curious because if we don't, then we're never gonna figure anything out, even if it's just like to feed ourselves. And if you look at say animals in the wild, they have to have curiosity. Um, that's why even you see like like cats where they walk inside and they have that one paw that kind of comes <laughs> out and then they take their time, they kind of pat at it. Yeah. That's the type of stuff that I think us humans have, but because the environment situations, a lot of times it's, that gets uh, either limited or uh, squashed. Uh, and sometimes it's the way you're raised, sometimes it's the environment, the community or the situation and it's socioeconomic uh, situations. Uh, but I think it's something that we can enable and, and understand. In the end, that's, that's all I'm looking for in, in people. And curiosity also is something that I think should be at the, the height and the number one thing that we teach in schools. Mm -hmm. because that is how people learn and understand. And I think it would also solve or a big, be a big part of solving a lot of the um, divisiveness that we have in the world today, right? Because the challenges yeah. that we have folks say in the United States on both ends of the extreme political spectrum mm -hmm. that are not curious enough to learn about the other person's viewpoints. And I'm not saying the other person's viewpoints may be right or not, but you have to understand and be curious as to why they are thinking the way they are. And then from there, your curiosity can drive you into, okay, am I going to counter this with data-driven uh, responses or is this going to devolve, and devolve into like name calling, which is often what happens because no one is curious enough to actually dig down and actually determine like what is the reasoning and what is the actual data that I can use to argue a point. And I'm not saying just like any data, like you also have to have the curiosity to figure out what is the source of this data? Is it trustworthy data? Is it biased data, et cetera? Um, and so for me, that's that's a key part. And I think you had another question around curiosity. Like what am I more curious about right now? Um, my thing that I'm probably most curious about is, well, there's a multitude. One is, is kind of what the future holds uh, because we as a world and community is always evolving. I mean, no one saw COVID. Well, people predicted something like COVID happening, but not to the extent to the time that it did. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's more of like curiosity around what's gonna happen in the world, curiosity of like where and how am I gonna have impacts in a positive way in, in our society. And even as at the local level, I'm happy with that. Mm -hmm. um, I, don't, I don't view myself with enough ego to say like, I can have a worldwide impact on things, but if I can move the needle on something, which is why I focus on workforce pipeline, great. Uh, and then just in general, there's there's just a lot of curiosity I have around how tech will affect our world. And then two, what the actual workforce in general will look like in the future. Yeah. Like, uh, will we get to universal income type things or not? I don't know. You, you have an article that was on your blog just recently about buyer preferences shifting heavily to digital channels. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, I think that certainly here in Canada, there it, most people I knew didn't shop online for a lot of things, for most things. And now it's much more common, much yeah. more common. And, and it's like we don't think about it as much anymore. We just do it. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, we also interesting to see what happens in general to like the workforce, right? Are we yeah. finally going to be moving away from the typical 40, 40 day, 40 hour work week? Is it going to be four day work weeks? That's mm -hmm. actually hours a day, not 10 hours. Um, you, you see it now where there's a lot more entrepreneurs. 
uh, that are trying their hands at stuff, which I think is awesome because they're curious to see, can yeah. I do this on my own or do something that's more interesting to me? Um, and yeah, I mean, we're already seeing uh, a lot of shifts in where employers are going, what employers are doing, what employees' needs are. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of very interesting changes that are in play right now. And I'm very, mm-hmm. you know, um, just as an, uh, just before we wrap up, um, I read in the paper yesterday that um, the TED conference, which was here year after year for many years, and then of course stopped for COVID is back here this week. And uh, they hold it in Vancouver, which is very cool because it used to be San Francisco, right? Which is, mm-hmm. I think where, um, what's his name? Anderson. What's his first name? I can't remember the guy that, owns Ted. Oh, oh, is it Anderson Horowitz? Like those? No, Anderson is his last name. I can't remember his first name. Anyway, um, so Bill Gates is speaking. Um, uh, Elon Musk is speaking. And there was somebody else that I can't remember now. And they're all here, right, for the TED conference. So, you know, and I think with Bill Gates, of course, he's more about the global initiatives and things that are going on. And Elon Musk is, is I guess, with between space and the um, the the uh, driverless car, I think, or <laughs> his thing. So the future, right? The curiosity about the future. Anyway, I just digress. But last question for you: um, What would you like to leave with my audience today to think about? Because I know that you. Um, you know, maybe a lesson you've learned in your career, or maybe something you want to um, have people be more, pay more attention to in the future from your perspective. Uh, so one of my, well, I think it comes down to what we talked about at the beginning is diversity. Yeah. Uh, so diversity of experiences, diversity of who's in your community. Uh, the experiences for me came about by accidents. Uh, so one of my, my very early jobs out of college, this is in mid nineties, I had an opportunity uh, to work in a lot of different roles, whether it was customer support at different levels, you know, level one, level two, level three engineering, uh, sales, business development, um, tools development, software. I mean, all those aspects gave me a very diverse view as to the pros and cons or the challenges uh, that each of those different roles face, which is why I think as a leader of my current company, I'm better able to understand the challenges that each of the different roles have. Uh, So that when I chat with them, I can be like, okay, I understand why this is happening to you. Here's a solution or here's a way to work around it. Uh, And then in general, the diversity of people around us is, it's a problem. Uh, I think we all tend to um, gravitate toward people that have the same interests, the same views, the same, uh, frankly, skin color as us. Uh, And that's something that we need to be more cognizant of. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if we look at the distribution of, of, frankly, races across the world, we're actually pretty diverse. Mm -hmm. But I don't know why we have these little pockets of communities that we keep forcing ourselves to. And that's something I think will help us as a human race to, to better think interact with each other. I mean, the stuff that we're seeing over in, in, in Russia and Ukraine, I mean, that's. Yeah, it's, it's so sad. And so, yeah, otherworldly in a way, you know, and unless you know somebody here in your own community, that's, that's connected directly, right. that you feel it as much, but it's, yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll wish for a better world as we move forward. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your insights. And thank you for um, being, uh, spending the time with me. And, uh, 
to my audience, thank you so much for being here again. Please let us know if you um, have any comments or questions about today's uh, episode. And I will put in the show notes uh, Rich's um, uh, uh, company uh, website and uh, social if he wants me to, and we'll go from there. And so remember to stay connected and be remembered. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If this show has inspired you to reach out to connect to someone new or nurture a current or past relationship, and you think that others can benefit from listening, please share this episode. If you have feedback or questions about the episode, please leave a note in the comment sections below. If you would like to receive automatic updates of new podcast episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or from the podcast app on your mobile device. Ratings and reviews from my listeners are extremely valuable to me and greatly appreciated. They help the podcast rank higher on iTunes, which exposes my show to more awesome listeners like you. So if you have a minute, please leave an honest review on iTunes. And remember to stay connected and be remembered.